Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mindful Conversations. So fun to have you here today. I am super excited because I have a great guest. Today, we are talking to Dr. Caroline Brookfield. You're like, why do I know that name? Well, because this week, I'm going to put up my episode with Caroline, and then I'm going to put up Caroline's episode with me. It's going to be super fun to hear the difference between what Caroline asked me and what I asked Caroline. And so you're probably wondering, who is Caroline? Well, Caroline is a speaker, a veterinarian, an entrepreneur, a mom, a stand-up comic, and an author. She believes that if everyone took tiny, unconventional actions every day to expand their comfort zone, we would change the world. Caroline received her DVM with honors from the Ontario Veterinary College. She's a certified Level 2 Creative Problem Solving Facilitator, and she holds a Certificate of Professional Management from the University of Calgary. Caroline plays in the Rocky Mountains near her home in Calgary, Alberta, that she shares with her long-suffering husband, her brilliant teenage boys, a lazy rescue dog, and two cockatiels. Her lectures go unheeded by her family, but the dog listens sometimes. So Caroline, welcome to Mindful Conversations. Oh, this is fantastic. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you. So I was starting to think about how we could have this conversation today, and I was looking at uh, what you had mentioned about Dan Pink, and people are like, Dan Pink, I've listened to you, Robin, and you've mentioned Dan Pink. What does Dan Pink have to do with Caroline? So wondering if you could explain what <laughs> Dan Pink has to do with you and I. Yeah, it's a, and it's funny. It's a great story to remember. Sometimes I forget how I meet people, but Robin, I'll never forget how I met you. So I, like you, am a big fan of Dan Pink's work and love his writing style, which is one of the influences for me for my writing. And Dan Pink has this give a task community, which I might be saying it wrong, but it's a community of people who follow Dan and his newsletter and his books and it's kind of neat because you can go on there and ask for help about things. You can go on network and um, ask for ideas. And that's where we originally met. And I can't remember if it was you who posted a, a question or me, but one or the other, one of us had a, a request for help on there. And uh, the other one answered. And the rest, as they say, the cliche is history. Yeah. Well, that's pretty funny because I'm wondering... How did you even find him to begin with? Dan Pink. I have no idea. I mean, come on, Robin, I have ADHD. I am a monitor with no hard drive. So you're lucky I remember <laughs> how we met. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So we're both in Givitas. And you, I think it was you who posted a question and I answered and said, I'd be happy to read your book. You were just writing it. Right, right, right. Okay. I was looking for early right. readers um, and kind of early feedback on the book. Right. And so you sent it to me yeah. and I sent back my thoughts. Which were amazing. They definitely helped to make the book better. Oh, so nice of you to say. So um, since we were both in Dan Pink, I was thinking, do you want to start with the Dan Pink? Um, what do I call it? Like the 
the tradition of asking a question? The tradition of asking you mean how I got how I got Dan Pink to blurb my book? Is that the story? Or? No. Oh. However, let's let's jump to that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll come back. The questions. How I will questions. ask. Is that you. a Dan Pink thing? Asking questions is curiosity. Yes. Right, right. At right. the end, he I do this thing with people after we've talked about our stories. Then I go I ask them to switch gears to Dan Pink and to an AI that he does every morning where he picks a number one through 365. So my audience can't see your face. What is your face saying? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I obviously didn't read his book. I didn't retain as much from his books as you did. Oh, <laughs> actually, I saw it on a video. Oh. But let's back up to your story about Dan Pink and reaching out and how he came to blurb about your book. Great. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I was obviously a big fan of Dan Pink's and on one of his newsletters, he uh, sent out a call for help. So he was looking for somebody with a no regrets tattoo for his book, Regret, which was, has been released. It's a fantastic book. Um, have you read The Power of Regret, Robin? I have actually, yes. yes. So on his newsletter, while he was writing this book, um, he was looking for people with this um, no regret tattoo. And I wrote him back, not thinking he would answer and said, well, if I find you someone with a no regrets tattoo, will you read part of my book? And he answered, I will read your whole book if you find me someone with a no regrets tattoo. So I went on a hunt. I put on posts on Facebook. I went on every tattoo parlor I could find looking for someone with a no regrets tattoo. And I offered 50 bucks cash or donation to a charity for anybody who was willing to talk to Dan Pink about their tattoo. So I found him five people with a no regrets tattoo, all spelled incorrectly on purpose. On purpose? Yeah, I guess it's some indie, like there's a, a movie, I think it was with Brad Pitt. And there's a, huh. a guy that has this no regrets tattoo spelled R-A-G-R-E-T-S. And long story short, he featured one of the people I connected with him, a friend of a friend here in Calgary, and her name is Amber, and she's her story is featured heavily in his book, The Power of Regret. So then I call, I followed up on his offer to blurb my book, and I got a blurb. And what does the blurb say? I'll have to read it. It says, this practical and funny book can help anyone find their creative spark. Equally important, it will make you smile. Oh, what a nice thing for him to say. That's awesome. And have you been in touch with him since? Not really. I mean, he's very busy. Other than, you know, I listen, I watch his podcast or sorry, I listen to his, read his newsletters and listen to his pink cast that he sends out once in a while. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, there's only so much I want to bother. The poor man is very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have found Ken and I were away last summer. And Dan had posted something about wherever you are, climb to the tallest building in the town and take a look out and you will see things that you wouldn't normally see. And so Ken and Addie and I, Addie's our daughter, climbed to the top of the highest building in some small town in Portugal. And we took a look out and took a picture and sent it to him. And did he answer? <laughs> he wrote back. He said, that's awesome, Robin. Thanks for sharing. Say hi to Ken. I love okay. it. There, and there we have it. So Dan Pink, just for my listeners to know, went to Northwestern with my husband and Carol Ross and some friends of ours who also went to Northwestern. 
Yeah, kind of crazy. And Carol brought Dan to Colorado many, many years ago. And Ken and I went to wherever Dan was speaking. And we got to hear him and meet him and say hello. And it was fun. So funny. We should call him Dan. um, What's the actor? Uh, Bacon. Kevin Bacon. They say everybody's six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. Right. Dan Bacon. Right. Dan Bacon. (laughs) So I have this tradition of asking a question that I sort of started to tell you a little bit about earlier, where he does 365 questions, right? Yes, they come through AI. And so I like to ask my people to pick a number between one and 365, and then I scroll for the answer, and I ask you a question. So what do you think about that? I love it. 365. Yeah. So let's see. Okay. Go ahead and pick a number. That's my number, 365. Oh. <laughs> oh my God, you're hilarious. All right, let me scroll to the bottom. How many people how many people pick 365? Not very many. <laughs> That's why I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Caroline, when did you last comfort someone who was crying? Oh. I I can't remember. Yo, you're asking someone with ADHD a question like that? I don't know. Last time I converted someone who was crying. I can't remember, Robin. That's terrible. You can't remember. I can't remember. Like people, you know, I can think of when people were sad, but like actually crying. I'm trying to think. I can't remember. Must be years. I mean, COVID, right? Like, you know, it's not like. Do you remember anybody crying during COVID? That I was with or on by Zoom Mm -hmm. or. Anyway, well, you weren't with them. It was COVID. Yeah, I do remember as hazy, but I do remember being on a Zoom call with somebody who was tearing up a little bit, and I can't remember why or who. (laughs) That's all you get, Robin. (laughs) Okay, I'll leave it at that. Sorry. Thanks, Carolyn, for playing. Don't be sorry. That's how it rolls. So we're good. Let's roll back up to the top. And if we were together at an event and somebody asked you about yourself, what would you tell them? Like, what What would they ask me? Like, tell me about yourself? Yes. I'd, I'd probably make a smart aleck comment and say something like, what do you want to know? But if someone were to ask me about myself, I would say I am, um, you know what I would like to say? So this is an exercise I do when I'm doing workshops, and it's um, called the uncomfortable introduction. And I would use that framework if it was someone that I wanted to kind of, I like to throw people off a little bit in a kind, gentle way. So instead of saying I'm vet, I live in Calgary, I would say, my name is Caroline. I am a lifelong learner and I deeply, deeply value connection and creativity and integrity. Wow. And so how do you show that you really value those things? How do I show that? Well, I think the integrity is easy. I just try to practice what I preach, um, try to teach people, treat people with respect and honesty. Creativity is the same thing. I think, how do I, how do I model that is just do it. You do it. What do you do? What's the it? So for um, integrity, it would be, be have integrity and uh, uh, business and personal relationships. For creativity, it's about things like trying new things. I mean, I have never considered myself artistic. I can't really draw, but I started taking like a free LinkedIn learning uh, drawing course. So trying to express my creativity um, in ways to learn. And then also 
I do stand-up comedy. Um, I do gardening. Um, I like to bake. So just the actions that I take. And also the act of creativity is stepping into potentially failure and trying new things and trying new things and trying something that might not work. And so I try to embed that in my daily practice. And then connection is about trying to, just like we're doing here, like try to reach out to people who I want to stay connected with and making the effort to maintain a relationship, which can be hard. Um, I very rarely will have a superficial connection with someone like, you know, I, if someone connects with me on LinkedIn, for instance, I try to look at their profile and, you know, make a comment or if I'm connecting with someone like make, find some common ground or something about their profile. It's like a genuine reason to connect versus just like their job title or something. So I guess that's how I would do it. How do you do it? Well, well, Carolyn, before I answer your question, um, I am curious, can you give us an example of a time when you failed? Oh, yeah, lots of times. Um, the first one that comes to mind, I'll go with that on with divergent thinking is when I tried to make my son laugh. This is many years ago. And I did a April Fool's joke on him. And I said, I'm sent he was probably about mm, eight or nine years old. And I sent him with a container with a label that said brownies for your field trip, no eggs, no butter, no dairy, no uh, chocolate. And I told him, no, you're not allowed to open it till you get to school. So he got to the front of the bus for the field trip. And he said, my mom made brownies. And he opens the container. It was full of like, cut out brownies. <laughs> like brownies, like a Girl Scout brownie? No, like the E, the letter E. I had in brown uh, paper, right? <laughs> Got I mean, it. He was young okay. enough not to understand, like you know, he was. Yeah, they're brown ease. Brown ease, and he was traumatized. He was so embarrassed. Oh. I think everybody else oh. thought it was funny, but that was a big failure. Oh. I think he'll probably do it to his own kids someday. But he was he was pretty upset. He felt really stupid. So I was like, oh, that's not really the, what I was going for. Oh, so that's an example. Okay, good example. Wow, I'll never see a brown E again without thinking of you. Although he's in French immersion because I'm in Canada, so he was in French immersion at the time. So I had to put a few I's in there because in French they say E. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so Carolyn, this podcast is called Mindful Conversations because my mind is so full of so many things I've heard or I've read or I've seen. And I'm wondering, what is one thing you have heard, read, or seen that has impacted where you are today? Something I've heard, read, or seen that has impacted where I am today. I would say that I've been deeply influenced uh, daily with Brene Brown's work. Oh, um, tell me about Brene Brown. Yeah. So Brene Brown, if I'm assuming people know who she is, she's a researcher on shame, vulnerability, um, written a bunch of books. And... I love her approach because it's very down to earth. Um, she's very real, but it's also very much rooted in data and evidence. And one of the most impactful things for me from her was there's a video, which is super cool. And it's her, it's really her audio and someone's put a cartoon to it. And it's about grief and how, you know, there's a, it's all these, like she's speaking, she's doing a talk, but they've kind of added these characters to her talk to illustrate the point. And the point is like there's one of the little cartoon characters that's down in a hole and he, and they can't get out. And she's explaining how 
when someone's feeling upset or is grieving or, or very, you know, in a tough place, how we tend to just yell down at them, like, how's the hole? And that sucks to be in the hole. And how you should really just get in the hole with them. And, you know, one of the examples she uses is, um, which uh, has impacted the way I deal with people on a daily basis is when people are suffering, your job is to sit in the tunnel with them. Your job is not to turn on the light. Can you give us an example of how you sit in a tunnel with them? So prior to being exposed to Brain Brown's work, I probably would have done all of the things you're not supposed to do. Like, well, at least, you know, you still have your house if someone's financially struggling or um, it could be worse or uh, I'm sure it'll get better, you know, those kinds of things. But now I work very hard to just see people where they are and just be just very much trying to just empathize with them in the sense that I just don't try to push away their discomfort to make me feel better, which I think is the instinct with people who are are struggling. Mm, Wow. That's pretty good. I love that you talk about how Brene gives examples of what she does and what she believes so that we can learn from her. Yeah. Yeah, you're shaking your head yes, up and down. Yes, yes. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you because I know this is audio. <laughs> it's okay. Yes, I love that. I forgot people can't see me. Yes, I do agree with that. And I love that she comes from a place of she's in, she's working on it as well. You know, I struggle yeah. with people who are like, this is what you should do and have this illusion of perfectionism that we know is not attainable. So what I love about her is that you feel like she we're in it together as opposed to her standing in judgment or like some kind of guru that's like got it all figured out. Mm, Wow. I want to circle back around to when we were talking at the beginning of the conversation about a book you had written. And Brene Brown just made me think about the book. And that is, the book is called The Reluctant Creative. Can you tell our listeners about that book? Yes. Well, um, The Reluctant Creative came about, I started my public speaking journey um, as a keynote speaker and facilitator in mid-2019. Yay for me, right? Like, (laughs) oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not the greatest time. And so obviously, when I was just starting to kind of get excited about booking things and everything shut down in 2020. And as a public speaker, you can get some advice that says you should write a book because if you have a book, people will be like, oh, they've got a book, so we'll hire them. And I never wanted to do that because I didn't want to write an expensive business card for the sake of just having a book. I didn't just want something to just say, oh, I've got a book to have a book. But when COVID hit and obviously everything ground to a halt, um, I was doing some virtual events, but it, you know, the, it was hard to get going on that. I thought, well, maybe I, I can write a book and maybe... Even the process of writing the book will help to articulate my message and it'll help me be more clear about what I'm trying to share. And I thought, what else am I going to do? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> so, and, and, and it like, it go, you know, it, it's practice what you preach. It was like, I had no idea how to write a book. I've never really written before other than blogs um, and, and scientific journal articles And I really had no idea how to go about writing a book, but I thought, well, if other people can write a book, I'm sure I can too. And then finally, of course, that, well, what if people hate it? What if it's terrible and people say, what a terrible book? So it's basically, I went through the stages of what I talk about in my um, speaking, which is about how 
can we access our creativity when we worry about judgment? How do we get into that place where we can try something new when we're at a point where we're pretty good at what we've done so far in our lives and it's really hard to fail at something? Mm. And so one of the things that as I was looking at some of the work you've done, I came across what's called dance, D-A-N-C-E. And it describes the five effortless habits for reluctant creatives. Can you tell us about dance? Yeah. So that was a fun, that was a creative exercise trying to take these habits. So I spent many years as with my technical background and and research background, I I wanted to dive into the research around creativity. And that's what got me excited about the topic. The more I read about how creativity affects your mood and your job performance and your satisfaction and engagement, the more I thought people need to know about this. So I can kind of condensed what I consider to be the main aspects of how to engage our creativity, because we all have creativity. You know, it's, it's part of us. And I can't really teach someone how to be creative if you're already creative. Like, it's like, I would say, it's like, if you're breathing, you know, you've already, you're breathing. If you're here, I can't show teach you how to breathe. You're already doing it. But you know, through other practices, like either whether it's pranayama or box breathing, you can use techniques to help amplify and make your breathing more effective for different reasons. And that's the comparison I use to dance. So dance is five habits. And if you do them in a few minutes a day, I guarantee that you will find more creative solutions and you'll be more connected to your own creativity. And do you want me to talk like tall about that? Oh, yeah. Do you want me to- Yes, please. I, we're curious. What is dance? Yeah, so I, this is not an elaborate plan to build up the uh, the tension. To <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it is. No. Um, <laughs> so, daydream, so dance stands for, so the, the D is for daydream. So that is engaging your default mode network. So thinking, um, you know, when you're looking out the window, how J.K. Rowling was looking out the window when she created the entire story arc for Harry Potter. Um, you know, daydreaming is a really important part of engaging your creativity, but it feels like you're doing nothing. Like it feels unproductive and useless. Um, but without daydreaming, your brain doesn't have the chance to make connections to develop unique insights and ahas. So that's D. A is for ambiguity. Um, we hate ambiguity as humans. It makes us feel very uncertain. And if we um, jump to quickly resolve that ambiguity, we usually are doing it with a status quo solution. So by increasing your tolerance of ambiguity and your comfort in that ambiguity, you make that space to build more creative ideas because you don't just Hmm. react and like, this is what we need to do. You're like, what could we do differently? And you have to be okay to sit in that uncomfortable place of uncertainty. N is for novelty and novelty is seeking out new experiences, uh, relationships, skills as data points. I call it like a universe brain. If you have a, your brain is like a universe. If you have a lot of different experiences and relationships, they're all different stars and planets and satellites. And that's really the ingredients that your brain uses to create new ideas. So the more diverse and more unique your experiences, the more unique and um, unusual your solutions are going to be. And that's where the daydreaming fits in with that, because as you're daydreaming, you're connecting, I call it like a spaceship is going through your universe brain, connecting all these unique stars and planets and experiences and skills and ideas. And that's how we create these unique um, 
solutions to problems is by combining our, but we don't know what's happening. We don't think, oh, well, I went to this um, exhibit at the Met that time. And then I also lived in India for a year and then I'm a veterinarian. And so like, you don't know what's happening. It's not a conscious process. So that's novelty for N. C is curiosity, which kind of relates to what Brene Brown talks about. We have to have the vulnerability and the humility to say, well, how could things be a little bit different um, to actually think about a new solution? So being practicing curiosity and looking at things in, in a very kindergartner mentality or trying to have that beginner's mind approach is helpful for creativity. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is E. And this is probably the most important one for people who are starting with trying to engage more creative ideas is uh, edit later. So uh, Ernest Hemingway is attributed to the quote, write drunk, edit sober. Ha. Okay. That makes sense to me. And that's really the essence of it. You know, we tend, when, we th- when we're brainstorming, we immediately, so brainstorming would be more the divergent thinking and editing or selecting is more the convergent thinking. And we tend to do them at the same time. So we'll think of an idea And then we'll immediately think, oh, well, that was a dumb idea. I can't believe I thought of that. Or we tried that last year. And you don't even get to the point of articulating the idea and exploring it. So the important thing with edit later is when you're thinking of ideas to know if you're diverging, which is brainstorming and imaginative thinking, and make sure you don't edit those ideas until later. Because there are bad ideas. There's some really bad ideas. (laughs) But sometimes the bad ideas if they don't get expressed, don't actually allow somebody else to take that idea and make it into a good idea. Mm. So the, the, the editing of the idea. So the, you know, the way, the way one, one example of talking about divergent and conversion is if you're, if you're writing a poem, divergent would be, what am I going to write my poem about? There's many answers, like possibilities are endless. But if you're trying to find that one specific word to rhyme or that fits in the rhyming scheme or the whatever type of poetry you're doing that's a convergent thing it's like selecting one specific there's one answer to it and the trick is to do them separately and not try to do them together okay who knew about that that was super interesting i really appreciate that because i'm looking at it and thinking wow how does that really play out and i thought that was a terrific way of explaining it so thank you for giving us that example. I mean, you just like railed that right off. Thank you. So, oh my gosh. Well, it's like how much, how much information, because obviously I'm excited about the topic, but you know, I could go on for hours about it, but it's trying to give the, the understandable, you know, nuggets. Yep. And you did. So thank, thank you. you. Is there something else that your mind is currently full of? Something that my mind is currently full of. I don't know if it's my mind is full of it, but there's something that's been kind of flitting around, probably my default mode network floating around in there Mm. is this idea of, um, as I mentioned, I have ADHD and I'm medicated for it. My son was diagnosed when I was an adult, which has kind of led to my journey. I've toyed with the idea of exploring a book or um, something about being a professional with ADHD and how we can make inclusive workforces for people with ADHD so that or other neurodiversity, so we can um, leverage their skills and their unique contributions, while also not having to derail everything, you know, that's the process that are in place. So that's one thing. And then the other thing that I've been playing with the idea, and it came up when I was giving a keynote uh, about a month ago, and a 
one of the audience members said, you know, I am really creative at home, but I'm not creative at work. And that's led me down this question of so many people show up differently at work than at home, like radically different. I don't know about you, Robin, like, do you show up differently at home versus at work? Or how would you say it's like totally different, sometimes the same or always the same? That's a big question. <laughs> You're like, how I'm asking you? the questions here, Caroline. This yes. <laughs> Caroline, you answer my questions because people can listen on a different day and hear you ask me questions. <laughs> I can't help my curiosity. My curiosity gets the better of me. I think it's great. And that's part of your ADHD. Mm-hmm. So people show up differently at work and at home. Tell me more about that. Well, I, I'm curious because I did a poll on LinkedIn and it was evenly split. The choices were I show up completely different. I show up a little bit different and I'm the same exact person. And it was literally like 33% of each one. And so I was like, that's really interesting. And my question is for the people who show up completely differently or somewhat differently, do they want to do that? Or do they think they want to do that? Like, do people want to be the same person and show Mm. up authentically? Other people say that's unrealistic. So I'm just really curious about this sense of, how you show up in the world. Which is the C in dance, right? It's curious. I'm curious. How do you show up? So I love that. That's really interesting. Come back to ADHD. What does that stand for? Uh, Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, I think is a technical term. How'd you know you had it? Well, my son was going through a psychoeducational assessment for, um, for ADHD. And we met with the psychologist and she, it was a two hour meeting. She spent an hour and a half of it talking about how she did the testing and the lines and the drawings and the ABCs. And then half an hour before the end, she said like, so he has ADHD. And I was like, what? (laughs) Why didn't you say this at the beginning? Number one. And one of the one of the supporting things that I remember, one of the supporting things that she said about her diagnosis was that he doesn't like to learn something unless he knows why he's learning it. Mm-hmm. I was like, so? Of course he doesn't. People don't do that. Do people do that? She nods at me. I look at my husband who is like staring straight ahead, not <laughs> wanting to engage. I'm like, do you do that? And he nods and he says, Yes. Like, well, those people are stupid. Why would you learn something if you don't know why you're learning it? So the doctor gives me the side eye and I was, and I guess that was the moment that I thought, well, maybe I have ADHD as well. And, you know, the journey of helping my son and supporting him and trying to understand what his specific challenges are and how I can support that better helped me, you know, learn a lot about the mechanism of ADHD and how it presents And, you know, of course, it was many years working with a psychologist and my doctor and, um, you know, and I don't mind saying that one of the presenting um, symptoms that prompted me to seek medication was um, some anxiety and depression, which is quite common in women, adult women with ADHD. And so that was kind of my journey. And now I make every effort to learn about it because I need to to learn about how I work and how I can make myself, how can I, how can I work in a world that's not designed for someone with ADHD and how do I advocate for adaptations and supports for things that I struggle with when it's an invisible disability, right? I guess I don't consider myself disabled, but, um, but it can be a struggle, right? Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if there's an answer. I think it's just a lifelong journey and it's a balance of self-acceptance, also perseverance and how like things are a little bit harder for my son and how sometimes they're a little bit harder for me, but um, I still have to find a way to make them work. So what are the, what are the hacks and adaptations that I can build in my life to help me do the things I'm really great at, but also support me through the necessary things that have to be done. Absolutely. And so is that something you're considering doing some research on and figuring out what the answer is? No. (laughs) No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) Well, that was honest. Thank you. (laughs) Holy moly. Wasn't expecting that one. (laughs) Nope, I wasn't. And there we have it. All right, my friend. Well, looking at the clock, can you believe it's like we've been on for 35 minutes? Wow. That's crazy. Time flies. Yes. So if you want listeners to remember one thing about you, what would you like that to be? If I wanted them to remember one thing about me, it's that we all have the capacity to take small steps to expand our comfort zone and to do different things. And the consequences are never as dire as you think they will be. Wonderful. Caroline, that was great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Robin. I always love talking to you. Yeah, I love talking to you too. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll look forward to seeing you again or for you hearing us again soon. Bye-bye.